Good morning, everyone. We're working on a new book. It's called The Power of Decision. It's one of the classics in, in metaphysics. Uh, uh, Raymond Charles Barker wrote it some time ago. And the premise of it is very simple. He simply says that since our life is made up of choices, if we make better choices, we'll have a better life. So the, the, the germ of the idea here could not possibly be simpler. In fact, let me read the, from the preface here. Here's kind of the promise of, of this book, and I would extend the promise to us this month here. Too few people are living the life that they really wish to live. Life can be lived fully and richly. It all depends upon the decisions that we make. Right decisions await your discovery of them. They are already in your mind. This book will help to reveal them to you. So this is interesting, right? If our life is made up of decisions and good decisions will produce a better life, and the answers are already in our heads. What am I missing here? Why don't I already have the perfect life? Right? Do you know what I mean? And when I, when I think about it, it, it does make sense. His thesis statement does make sense. Because I am aware that every decision that I've made right along the way, from, from infancy until now, has produced this. Right? I, I stand before you, the the result or the summation or whatever you want to call it of, of all the decisions that I've already made. But why isn't it a perfect life yet? Now, I have to say, my life is pretty darn good. I mean, I'm, I'm mostly content with my life. But I wouldn't go so far as to say it's perfect yet. There are still some things that I'm striving for. And I know a lot of people that would say, oh, gosh, Larry, you're, you're, you know, you're one of the fortunate ones because I have quite a ways to go to, to seize the life I want. If it's decisions and we already know the answers, what keeps us from making ever better and better and more life-affirming and more loving and more sweet and more powerful decisions that will catapult us into our true life's work? What keeps us from that? Well, he has some ideas here, and I want to talk about them a little bit today. First of all, Barker says that oftentimes we don't even realize we have a choice. And if you don't realize that you're at choice, it's going to be hard to make good ones. And he gives several examples. Uh, oftentimes, our choices seem like they're taken from us. Now, I, I'm not going to say that that's true, but picture, if you will, someone that has gone along with life to the extent that they've really given over their measure of decision-making to people and places and external forces. And, and uh, you, you know, when I think back at, to the mid-20th century, for instance, most women did that. I hope I'm rankling a few people here, but for, for a lot of us, it might be our moms as opposed to us, but, but remember, or, or, or do you have a sense of what the 50s were like? And, and women kind of turned it over to the guys in their life, right? Is there any wonder that the, that the 50s and 60s were kind of a mess and that towards the end of the 60s, we started, we started burning our brasiers? You know, well, not, not me personally, but... <laughs> 
But but I think that whole that whole awakening in the 60s and 70s and, and and the strength of women standing up for themselves came about because they had given over their power prior to that or or it was seemingly taken from them. And I would suggest that many of us still live in that place. Now, it, it's not orderly like that. It's not like any one person has has taken your power or that you have given your power of decision to. But lots of us in areas of our life have, I think, given up our decision making. Some of us are in jobs where we get to make very, very few decisions. Some of us are in relationships where where still one person does most of the decision making. Some of us picture ourselves in, in roles of, a, of an invalid or, or being in a situation where the, the government or the place you're living or whatever it is seems to be in control. I was talking to someone the other day, one of, one of our seniors that was talking about living on a fixed income and not being able to go to the doctor that she wanted to because it wasn't part of, of her Medicare coverage. And I'm thinking, oh my God, here's a, a perfect wonderful person viewing themselves at the mercy of the government. Can you think of anything much scarier in life than really feeling like you're at the mercy of the government? And we have a great government here. Don't get me wrong, but that would be giving up your decision making, right? To to a nameless sea of of who knows what out there, right? We have decisions, but we have to recognize that. We need to really recognize that even as we say God is infinite, our choices are infinite. It's not just black or white. It's not just A or B. It's not just choose one from column one and and two from column two. The choices are actually infinite. And even when it doesn't seem like we have very many choices, I would like to take issue with that. I know we've all been in a position at one time or another where we thought that the scope of our ability to make changes or to to get what we want or to have the good life seemed like it was just so tight, so tight and so many narrow choices. I would like to suggest that the infinity of choices was there for us. They just seemed like hard ones. And part of my, my story, if you will, today Part of what I really want to, to have us embrace is the idea that choices that are not made are still making a choice. When we choose to go along, when we choose to, to just take what the soup de jour is, when we, when we choose to just say, I'll let you decide, we too are deciding. We're deciding that I'm not important enough I'm not important enough to make my own good decisions. This is not a good place to be in. Do you know what I mean? Even if we're consciously, you know, you know what's so interesting uh, on our on our core council, we have several core council members here, and we we make our decisions based on the consensus method, which which means, you know, even if one person kind of has a different idea, we make sure that it is discussed and discussed until the point where everybody can can go along with what the final decision is. And so, even if you're the lone outstander, your voice is fully heard. And even if in the end we decide not to do that thing, we wait until there is that consensus that, that this is what we're going to do. 
how often do we just give up? How often do we have the sense, well, the things aren't going my way, so I'm just, I'm just done. I'm just going to pitch in and give up. The other thing that Barker says gets in the way of our decision making is our own lack of creativity. We tend to only see two choices. And guess what our two choices are? The first choice is what we did last time. <laughs> and the second choice is something that is so hard and unimaginable that we're never going to make that choice. <laughs> and so even when we think that our life is filled with choices, we keep going back to this, we keep making the same decisions. You know what I mean? This is how you can go from one bad boyfriend to the next bad boyfriend. This is how you can go from one terrible job to a next terrible job. It's because the creativity of us taking a different path just seems outside of the scope of what we want to do. And so when we come down to it, we're faced with those two choices. I'll do what I did last time, or I'll do this unimaginable, you know, I'll go back to school for 14 years and become an entirely different person, and then I can do what I want. And then you go, oh, yeah, well, all right, I'll make the same choice then, because <laughs> it just seems doable, it just seems believable. There are an amazing number of choices out there, and we get to use our full creativity to sense what they are. You know, when we make the really big decisions in, in life, they never should be black or white. They never should be A or B. They always should be a huge range of possibilities that help orient us in the direction that we want to go. And then we begin making steps in that direction, even as the clarity around the real decision comes to us. So it doesn't even have to be a finished decision all at once. As long as we know where we're heading, and as long as we begin taking steps, small steps in that direction, then the decisions that come along will always be made, which unfortunately leads me to the third area of where we tend to make bad decisions, and that is we don't know what we want. Have you been there before? Uh, someone the other day, <laughs> who will remain nameless, asked me, so are you finally what you wanted to be when you grew up? <laughs> Which is a sweet way, I think, of saying, do you know why you're here? How many of us know why we're here on the planet? Okay, a few hands came up. Great, great. How many of us really know why we're here on the planet? This is a question we should be able to answer. I remember I worked for a company for a while that made us memorize the mission statement. And the idea was if, if some competitor or some stranger trapped us on the elevator, we'd be able just to quickly say, oh, I work for US West and we stand for quality. Do you know what I mean? It would be like right on the tip of my tongue. I want to suggest we ought to be able to talk about our own reason for being here with at least that much clarity and ease. I would like each person in this room to really know why you're here and be able to talk about it with some passion and, and, and interest. And that leads me into today's joke. <laughs> so the manager of a large corporation had had a heart attack and the doctor told him to rest for several weeks. He decided he'd go to one of those dude ranches. But when he left behind his cell phone, his TV, and the internet, frankly, he was bored after about two days. He asked the rancher if there were some odd jobs around the ranch he could do. So first the rancher told him to clean out the barn. Now he thought that for somebody coming from the city, that would take like a whole week or more to finish the job. 
To his surprise, the mid-level manager finished it in one day. Next, the rancher gave to the manager a more difficult job. It was time to cull out the poultry. And among the other things included was cutting, cutting the heads of quite a few of the chickens to get them ready for market. The farmer was sure that the city boy would never be able to complete that one. But by the end of the day, the job was done. The next morning, as most of the other jobs around the ranch were done, the farmer asked the manager simply to divide a bag of potatoes into two boxes. One box with small potatoes, one box with big potatoes. At the end of the day, nothing had been accomplished. The, the rancher asked the manager, how is it that you finish the really hard things so quickly, but you cannot do this one simple job? The manager answered, listen, all my life I'm used to head, cut, head cutting and cleaning up messes, but now you're asking me to make decisions. <laughs> what is the most important decision that we have to make? I think it's to live, to be honest. I think it's to live. And I want to say a little bit more about that because so many people, when I talk to them, I don't think they've made the decision to live. I think they've made the decision to exist. When I see them moving through their lives, when I see them interacting with other people, when I see them with their families and their children, whether it's at work or on Sunday, what I get out of it is that they are taking the steps necessary to exist. Now, this is a good starting point. Don't get me wrong. I mean, one of the things I learned in a 12-step program that saved my life is that when the going gets rough, you still suit up and show up. You still be fully present. You still do what's necessary to get on with life and to move forward. But that's not the end, people. That just gets us to show up. What is life bringing for you? Have we really chosen life? Is it in our heart to do something wonderful and extraordinary? Is it in our nature to be, to be powerful, whether it be with our families or our friends or in the workplace or in our communities? Do we know what we stand for? Is there in us that, that light and that life that is just compelling because if not, I don't think we've signed up for it. And although it's good and it's fine to learn a lot of tools and techniques, it's, it's great to, to come here on Sundays and to learn how to do life better. If we're not going to do life, if it really is just what do I do to get through today, oh my gosh, that, that paints such a, a, a picture of just endless days with not much going on. That is not what I hold for this group of people. That is not what I hold for anyone that I care about and hold dear to me. And you are included on this list. I want to know what makes your heart sing. I want to know the dreams you have. I, I, I mean, when someone, when I was like seven years old and someone asked me what I wanted to do when I, when I grew up, oh my gosh, I had plans. <laughs> now, I won't say how many of them were reasonable or likely, <laughs> but boy, did I have plans. I was going to set the planet on fire. And I bet most of you were like that. Where, where did the light go out? 
You know, what was it in school when, when someone said, maybe you can't draw as well as you think you can? Was it, was it the first choir practice when someone said, uh, oh, maybe you should just mouth the words? Do you know what I mean? Somewhere along the line, someone has taken the wind out of our sails, and today I want us to reclaim it. Today, I want each one of us to say, even if I don't know exactly what my dream is anymore, I have the gumption to find out. I have the interest in really living. Existing is great. Thanks for the tools. Thanks for the, the, uh, uh, the whatever to help me exist. But I'm going beyond that. There's excitement in me. There's life in me. I'm signing up for the full deal. That is what I want for all of the people in this room. And that's the appropriate place to start, I think, in this area of making decisions. Now, you know, often I assign a homework out. This is too important to leave to homework, because I know some of you don't do it. <laughs> so if, well, you know, I'm, I'm a realist, too. So if you're willing, we're going to do a bit of visioning together as a group spiritual practice today. So for those of you who have not done visioning before, the idea is just to, just to close your eyes and allow yourself to be fully present to your own thoughts and your own emotions. What I'm going to do is very simple. I'm just going to ask a few questions, and I want you to turn the answers to those questions over to your higher wisdom self. You might think of it as your intuition. You might think of it as that part of you that's, that's plugged into your higher power or, or something greater than yourself. But I want that person, that higher wisdom self of yours, to be answering these questions. And just allow whatever pictures or ideas or words that come into your head, don't try to censor them. Just allow them to be what they're going to be. So let me start with the first question. What is God's highest vision for your fullest and best life? What is God's highest vision for your fullest and best life? We ask and we listen. What is that beautiful vision, that high vision, for you living your best life ever? Just allow the ideas and the words, the, the thoughts and the symbols, just to come to you naturally. And now the next question. To make room for this wonderful idea of the future, what must I give up? Are there old ways of being? Are there old relationships? Are there, there old habits or old patterns? What must I give up to live life fully? What must I give up? Next question, is there some newness in my life, some new way of being, some quality of God, something unexpressed in me? What must I embrace to live this outrageous, wonderful life? What must I embrace? What newness 
must I seek and embrace? And last but not least, what is the very next step? What is that next step in my life unfolding fully and wonderfully? What is the very next step? We ask and we listen. What is that next step? So you can bring your awarenesses back into the room. For those of you that closed your eyes, feel free to open them now. I hope that gave you just a taste of that five or seven-year-old self that could see the world in such a variety of, of colors and, and imaginations. I, I hope that gave you an idea beyond just existing and into being something more authentic, more powerful, more loving, more joyous, more propelled forward, more on fire. Now, you probably thought if we were doing the homework in class, you wouldn't get assigned homework, right? Oh, you were wrong. So there is a little bit of homework for this week. And what I love is it's right out of the book here. And, and, and I think you'll, uh, this homework will make sense to you. He says, the decisions to let go of that which has completed its course in your experience is even more important than the decision to welcome newness. You cannot walk forward as you look backward. The human mind dislikes change, and we will tend to put off until tomorrow what should be released today. And so here's your homework. Decide right now on the ideas and situations that are no longer of benefit to you. Make a list of them. Let them go. So, a short story on this one. Um, a friend of mine, uh, who passed away actually a few years ago, named Pat, was in one of those marriages in the 50s that was even, I would say, a little on the physically abusive side. And yet she stuck it out through... Uh, raising two children, through putting her husband through rehab, through really kind of a tough life. And at the age, uh, I, I would guess mid-40s, she said she had had enough. This was not an easy task. Her daughter actually never quite forgave her for what the daughter saw as ending this relationship of, of break, you know, quote, breaking the family up. And years later, uh, uh, Pat and her daughter still had some issues because of that decision. Reflecting back on Pat's entire life, though, she said she only had one regret, and that was re not releasing that relationship sooner. So if you feel that you are hemmed in to a difficult relationship, a difficult job, a difficult way of being in life, and you've been there for some time, let us not keep going back along the same path. Let us not keep imagining in our heart that something is going to be different when it has never been different before. If it is time to release something, let us release it now. 
We need to make room for the newness. We need to allow that dream, that beautiful, compelling dream of what we want to do in life, some room to grow. So that's your homework for this week. You know, this is actually quite a great book, and the prayer that I'm going to close with is right in the book. I'm just going to read read this mental treatment, as uh, as Barker calls it, right out of the book. So our closing prayer. There is one cause, one mind, and one source. I am because this cause, this source, created me out of itself in order to express itself. This cause, being pure mind, created me as pure mind. God knows me as an intelligent vehicle of its great wisdom. Therefore, I now know for myself, I am the mind of God in expression. I am an alert, vital individualization of the infinite God. I am intelligence, wisdom, and knowledge. Every idea I need is already within my consciousness. These ideas are now articulated in my thought, and I am fully aware of them. Henceforth, forevermore, I shall make the right decisions. I'm grateful for this certainty. I let it be. And so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you were here today.